0: Welcome back to the Square State Sandlot Podcast. Uh, obviously, today I'm, I'm not joined by Kyle or John, so it's going to be a little bit unique in that respect. Uh, but I'm still recording. Hopefully, you guys are enjoying. I do want to invite you, for, for those of you that do like us, like what we're doing, want to support us, uh, if you could just quickly leave a review on wherever you're listening, whether that be on Facebook, you can, you can review our page and say, do you like what we're doing? It really just helps us get our our uh, podcast out there and then one other thing I wanted to invite you all to do that we usually tack this on to the end of the podcast is in the description for each episode that we put out there uh, there's a link that lets you put in a voice message to us where you can ask questions leave feedback anything like that anything you want to hear us talk about so we can feature your voice in there if you want it to be featured in the episode or we can leave it out and just Kind of paraphrase what you're saying, and then answer the question. So, uh, we we really would love to have some some fan engagement, and hopefully get to hear from some of you guys and, and get you involved. So, with that being said, um, I'm going to talk about pretty much just a, a depth of things that have come up in the, in the last week since we've last recorded, but. I did want to share a little nugget that uh, Taryn Christensen, we've interviewed him before. He's actually going to come on again. He's going to be a guest probably on our next Wednesday episode. So just keep an eye out for that. It's always good to talk to Taryn. Obviously, we, we talked about his dad pretty pretty in-depth last time. This this time when he's on, it's probably going to be more of a, I don't know, we're going to talk about BYU because that's his favorite college football team. Uh, we'll talk Raiders. Obviously, his dad played for the Raiders, so he's he's a fan of them. So, like I said, just keep an eye out for that. Kyle should be on that one. If not, it'll be Taryn and I. And then I think John and I will be on this weekend, so so keep an eye out for that one as well. Uh, I'm just sitting here watching the Golden State Warriors game between them and the Phoenix Suns. Obviously, that's a rematch of the game they played on Tuesday where the, the Warriors lost. I'll break that down a little bit later on in the episode, but it's it's been a pretty exciting game so far. So that that's what I'm watching while I'm recording this, just in the, in the background. So um, a question I wanted to pose to Kyle, and this is just moving right into the NFL, um, I wanted to ask him if he thought the Steelers were done. And the reason I ask that is because they are currently ranked 12th out of the 16 teams in the AFC. Uh, that sounds pretty bad, but at the same time, there's... Let's see, five teams in front of them that have one more win. The, the downside to them is they are 5-5-1 five, five and one with that one tie coming against the Detroit Lions. So that really hurts them in that win column. That's probably a win they should have had and would have put them right into rank seven tied with the Chargers somewhere, somewhere in there. So uh, obviously that could come back to bite them in the end. I really want to hear Kyle's opinion on this, so maybe I'll, I'll save it for him on Wednesday. And obviously, if they win their upcoming game, then obviously a lot of things could change based on how people in front of them do. But uh, in my opinion, they're not looking too good right now. So I know um, Kyle probably hasn't given up hope yet, and it's, it's tough to do that as a fan, but they looked... Just awful against Cincinnati in their last game. Uh, they lost forty-one to ten. Offense looked non-existent. Cincinnati is is a good team, but they're not a great team. Obviously, they they kicked the crap out of my Raiders too uh, a couple weeks ago. Raiders were coming off their no, it wasn't. It was the game after they came off their bye, so no real excuse there. Um, Cincinnati looks to be a team on the rise, and and the Steelers look like they're heading the other way, so. I'm interested to see where they go from here and and whether that's a change at quarterback. I don't think big Ben's the, um, the problem here. I think a lot of it's been some injuries that have cropped up in key positions. And in fact, I think TJ Watts going to miss this upcoming game this weekend with being on the COVID list. So a lot of things going on with the Steelers, not a lot of good news. Um, and and really, like I said, I, I want to see what Kyle has to say about them and if he thinks they're done this season or if they're going to continue on. They do have a game against Baltimore this upcoming Sunday. So that's a tough game to win, division game. So you never want to write them off in that, especially with them being at home. But Ravens are, are playing pretty good ball right now, and, and the Steelers are not looking too hot on offense. So we'll, we'll see what happens in that game. Um and then moving on to my Raiders, they uh, have a game at home with Washington coming into town. And Washington kept coming off that big win against Carolina, and they are at 5-6 for their record. Raiders are 6-5. I'm feeling pretty good about this game. Um, the, the Raiders have a pretty decent offense, and their defense... While it ranks statistically towards the bottom of the league, I think a couple of those games were outliers where basically the offense wasn't doing anything. Defense was left out there all game. Uh, The Cincinnati game comes to mind for sure where a lot of those points came up in garbage time where the Raiders were just gassed and and couldn't stop the the offense at all. So um, I think those stats are a little bit skewed. They have a much better defense this year than they did last year, even though on paper it doesn't look like it. But the this talent level on defense is much higher, and they should be getting Trayvon Mullen back soon. Probably not in this game, though. So um, I, I look for the Raiders to, to win this one. I don't know if it's going to be a huge win. Obviously, at, playing at home is beneficial. Uh, for Washington, they're missing Montez Sweat and Chase Young. He's out for the season. Montez Sweat, I think, is more of a week-to-week situation. But... Those are their two best edge rushers. Uh, Interior line is pretty good for Washington, and and our interior line for the Raiders is not good. In fact, our whole offensive line is not great other than Colton Miller. So uh, they have been playing a little bit better in the last couple weeks. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, he missed practice, but they said he should be good to go for the game on Sunday. And he obviously had a huge impact in that game against Dallas. Three catches, 102 yards, and a touchdown. So with that speed element, it helps free up the the rest of the players on offense. We won't have Darren Waller for this game. He's been ruled out. So I look for another big game from from Foster Moreau. He had a a great game when Waller was out last last time. So I think this will probably be a a lower-scoring game. Uh, i would probably take the Raiders like 21 to seventeen or something like that although <clears throat> if they can if they can get her on a roll on offense it, it might be even better than that so uh i'm i'm picking the Raiders this week obviously i just told you why so i i'm curious to see how they do just because they haven't played consistently at all this season they they won those first three games but even in those first three games they weren't playing well they were just doing enough to to get those wins and then obviously since they were in three 0 they're now they've they went three and fives in that stretch so total record coming to six and five we'll see what happens with with that going on uh speaking of the Raiders the Reports coming out from from Las Vegas this week were that Mark Davis is not in a hurry to start the coaching search. He he wants to see what Bassachia does with the rest of the season. Uh, I think he's made it pretty clear that it's playoffs or bust for a lot of the the staff and players on the team right now. So it's it's obviously a, a huge season in terms of what happens next with this franchise. I think they're playing, or I think Mark Davis is playing this very well. Uh, Mike Mayock still has one year left on his contract, so I absolutely think they should bring him back for this upcoming offseason and see how he does in the draft. Even even if the, the Raiders finish outside of the playoffs, I, I think he should be back on just because if you if you go and hire a GM this late in the process, where scouting's already being done by Mike Mayock and his staff, it's going to put you behind the eight ball because you're essentially having to hire new scouts, hire a new GM and and get up to speed with all the players in, in college football. Obviously, if you hire someone that's in a assistant GM role or something like that, they'll, they'll have their own draft board somewhat prepared, but internally, if you don't want to go through that giant turnover and, and going through that, you, you just stick with what's on board. So I, I love Rich Bisaccia and, and I hope that he gets another chance as an NFL head coach, but I don't see him coming back unless it's on a one-year contract for next season. Uh, he's definitely growing as a head coach, but he he's shown several times this season that he's probably not ready for the, the big show just yet. And obviously as a 61 a year old special teams coach, I mean, when when's his time going to be if it's not now? I, I understand that. But at the same time, some of the decisions he's been making with uh, clock management and then especially going super conservative when, I mean, essentially his job's on the line. So playing, I wouldn't say scared, but it, it also it kind of seems like that at some point. Um, several times he's gone for, or he's punted in positive territory, on like fourth and short. And obviously if they're not getting it on third and short, I I understand there's not a high likelihood, but most of the time where he's kicking field goals with on fourth fourth and two or punting on fourth and two, the analytics say, go for it. And, and he's just not been going for it at all. So it's curious decision-making. Obviously he's three and three as a head coach right now. So 500 record, that's not going to get you a job. Um, in the league, to to be quite honest, so he's got to have a, a nice stretch run. And like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see Mark Davis if they make the playoffs, bring him back for one more season, and then reevaluate after that. Uh, but Mike Mayock, I I would for sure pull the trigger on him and just say, hey, this is your this is your last chance essentially. Make the best of it, because outside of the Raiders organization, we don't know how much. Uh, John Gruden had his hands in the draft picks. We just don't. Um, He was the de facto GM, and and Mike Mayock was there to do the contracts and and basically whatever John told him to do. And I would really like to see once – I mean, if I had to guess, Gruden was making the picks in the the earlier rounds, and and Mayock and his – team was pro- was probably making the, the later round picks and those are typically the ones that have been turning out well for the Raiders in the last season or last few seasons and the first second third round picks haven't been going so well so if if that's true and that's the pattern then like I said I'd like to see what Mike mayout can do with full control over the roster and, and see what he does if he's not great then obviously next season you can let him go uh, but earlier in the season, where where you can get a new staff and stated and all that stuff, where where they can set up and get their college players scouted and, and set up their draft boards and whatnot. Uh, speaking of Washington football team, they obviously drafted Terry McLaurin, uh, but there were plenty of reports coming out this this week from I believe it was Victor of the Athletic. He said that had the Raiders not traded for Antonio Brown and given up that third round pick, they would have drafted him. And that was coming from Rich Bisaccia, who is the, the head coach of the Raiders at this point. Uh, and that's just devastating to hear because, obviously, Terry Terry McLaurin's a hell of a ball player, uh, but we essentially gave up that third round pick to the Steelers and got nothing from Antonio Brown because he was released before the, the start of the regular season. So if if we had not signed Antonio Brown we we have the chance to have Terry McLaurin because we went before Washington in the draft in that third round and he was graded out as a third round pick so obviously things could have happened but the Raiders went well before Washington in that draft in the third round so assuming everything would have played out the same way they they would have had an opportunity to draft him so that's that's not ideal but Speaking of Antonio Brown, he uh, has a pattern of not paying people that he contracts out to do his work. Um, latest one is is his chef. And so when he didn't pay the chef, I guess he owed him like $10,000 or something like that, which is no small amount. Uh, and the chef said, well, if you don't pay me, I'm gonna let out some information that you don't want to get out. And that information turned out to be that Antonio Brown used a fake vaccination card, gave it to the NFL, was telling everyone he was vaccinated, which obviously that's not a a good scenario there, but so he wasn't following any of the unvaccinated protocols, any of that stuff. So he just got suspended three games without pay. So that's going to cost him a hell of a lot more than the 10,000. He should have just paid the chef to begin with and probably would have not had any of this news come out. So um, obviously not a good situation where you're you're trying to cheat the system. Um, And yeah, obviously if you you have someone provide services, pay them. So Antonio Brown's probably kicking himself for that situation going on there. Uh, Other news coming out from the NFL, we have Christian McCaffrey. He is out for the season. And I think that's pretty much put a fork in Carolina's season. Uh, they were looking to make a chargeback when they signed Cam Newton. He played very well in that first game. Uh, Christian McCaffrey had been playing out of his mind since he came back from the injury, and rolled his ankle and is obviously out for the season now. Uh, it's tough blow for the Panthers. It's also a tough blow for me because he is was the, the first overall draft pick that I, I took since I, I had that first overall spot and hoping that I can recover and make a, a deep run to the playoffs. Little update on that. I think Kyle's nine and four and I am eight and five. Uh, that doesn't sound right. Nine and three is Kyle. I just beat him. And then I'm eight and four. So we're both pretty much locked to get into the playoffs in our in our fantasy league. So it'd be interesting to see what happens in that for sure. Uh, both of us kind of on a downturn. I started off seven and zero, and Kyle started off seven. He might've been eight and zero, And then lately we just had rash of injuries and, and players that have kind of dipped. So um, we'll, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. We'll, we'll definitely keep you guys updated on it and, and see what you guys think. Uh, still trying to figure out what we're going to do for the the picks. Whoever has the worst record in the picks is supposed to be doing something, and then whoever has the best record is supposed to be getting a gift or something. So if you guys have any ideas for that, definitely get them out to us, and we'll, we'll be interested to see what you guys have to say on that. So moving on to Major League Baseball, uh, I don't know how many of you follow it, but there's probably quite a a few of you that are not happy with what's going on with major league baseball right now. Uh, Owners decided to lock out the players. And this basically means that the players can't report. They can't come into the facility, which there's been several players that have posted, Hey, um, I hurt my ankle or whatever in the, when I was playing baseball and had to have surgery, and now I'm supposed to be doing rehab, but I can't come in the building because the, the owners decided to lock us out, so obviously that's not a great situation. We we all knew it was kind of coming because all the CBA negotiations were, were not going well. Uh, players and owners had, had been preparing for this basically since the last CBA, uh, and I don't know why. I think it was about 11 years ago, maybe maybe more recent than that, but that was the last time they did the CBA, and and those neg- negotiations were definitely hard fought. Everyone was pissed when they left the table, and it was kind of just a, a foreshadow to this happening. Uh, there was a rash of signings right before the lockout happened. Uh, saw a lot of big big names, basically signing as quick as they could because once the lockout happens there's no more contracts that can be signed no more trades that can be made anything like that so uh, just a couple of the signings that happened uh, Max Scherzer signed a 3 year deal worth 130 million with the Mets i think there's an opt out after that second season which that is a crazy amount of money i think he's that comes out to like 43.3 million annual average value so i think that's the highest contract in Major League Baseball history, if, if you go on a per-year basis. So, obviously, a big, big deal for him and big deal for the Mets getting him. They obviously lost uh, Steven Matz to the Cardinals when they thought he was for sure going to sign with them. Uh, their owner got on Twitter and basically cried about the whole situation because he was so pissed and then kind of just went on a spending spree. He also signed... Um, Starling Marte from the A's and Mark Canna from the A's to some pretty big contracts. Obviously, I'm happy for those guys, but not too happy to lose them, especially Starling Marte. Canna was one of those kind of glue guys that just he got on base, whether it's getting hit by (laughs) getting hit by a pitcher or walking, drawing a walk, hitting a home run, whatever. Mark Canna was a, a stud of a player. I think he'll do pretty well for the Mets out there. Uh, Definitely a a much-needed boost for them. And then, like I said, Starling Marte, obviously we traded for him at the deadline last season, and he just tore up the league. Had one of the highest batting averages, if not the highest batting average in the league. Hit some home runs, stole a ton of bases, and really just showed out against the rest of the league and obviously drew up his market and interest. And I believe he got four years and... 73 million might have been five years, I don't know. Lots of money. Uh, Marlins basically offered him three years, 33 million at the beginning of the last season, and, and he basically doubled that what he was able to, to get in the contract. So, good move by Starling. Like I said, I'll, I'll miss him being on the A's. It was a short stay, but he was an electric player and, and a ton of fun to watch. Obviously, someone you can get behind easily. Um, uh, the Rangers also made a couple signings. They signed Corey Seeger to a ten year three hundred twenty five million dollar deal and Marcus Simeon signed a seven year one hundred and seventy five million dollar deal uh, <laughs> very happy for Marcus Simeon not so happy that he's going to be in the division because we'll have to play him nineteen times a year and he's one of those Iron Man players that just no matter what he's playing in the game. I think he's played hundred and sixty won games when he was on the A's like three years in a row. So very impressive player. Love to see him get paid. Uh, he he only got his one-year deal last year. And obviously that was coming off that COVID short season. So just, like I said, happy for, for Marcus. Corey Seager, I mean, I think the Dodgers were expecting to re-sign him and he left. And, and same with Max Scherzer. So they probably aren't too happy right now that the, the Dodgers, but they did get their guy uh, Corey Taylor back. So consolation prize there, I guess uh, question I, I had asked to me was when do I think the CBA will be signed and, and get players back in, in buildings and whatnot? I really don't know what to say to this. It it sounds like they weren't even really talking towards the end of the negotiations. So I don't know if it's just because they knew nothing was going to happen before the deadline, so they just called it off. But I can't see them letting it go into spring training just because the way that spring training is nowadays, it's big business. Like you're paying full price in those stadiums to to sit in the seats. You're paying full price for beers and and hot dogs, whatever, any vendor you go to, it's going to be ridiculous pricing. It's kind of why I've shied away from going to spring training recently. Um, It's going to be one of those back in my day stories. But I remember when you could buy like an annual pass, essentially, for spring training. And basically you had this pass and I think it cost like 200 bucks and you could go to any game. You just general admission, you show your card, you can get right in. Uh, but in the last probably 10, 15 years, I think demand has spiked quite a bit. People going to the Arizona one specifically, that's the one I always go to. And now the prices are, you know, you're paying 20, 30 bucks per seat for decent seats. And I think you can even get up to like 80 per seat if you if you want the good ones. So that's, I mean that's pretty much regular season pricing in the actual venues when you're going to spring training to watch players that probably aren't even going to be on the roster come come the end of March. So I I can't imagine they'll they'll let it go past that. So you're looking at probably middle of January to early February if you want to get the the pitchers and catchers in there to to start their program. So I would say If I had to throw a date on there, I'd say probably January 20th, somewhere in that range, just so players can start to get their plans together to report for for spring training. So I don't think it'll be an extended stay. And and I'm really hopeful that they have the salary floor instituted where teams are required to spend $100 million on the payroll. And... I really hope it doesn't come at the cost of lowering the luxury tax, because that's like we talked about before. That's essentially a a pseudo salary cap in baseball when when there's not really supposed to be a a salary cap in baseball. So most of those owners now are are treating that luxury tax as they're not going to go above it. So obviously that suppresses spending. Which if you're if you're a fan of a small market team, it sounds good to suppress spending, but really baseball doesn't have a parity issue. There's there's constantly new teams going to the the World Series and and winning those things. So I think baseball is set up very well and, and works very well. And the only thing they want that luxury tax for is to, to limit how much they'll pay the players. And since there's no salary cap, they want to institute their own by calling it the luxury tax. So anyway, we'll move off that. Uh, a couple of news and notes about the, the Oakland A's. Obviously, they're my favorite team. Uh, the one thing that this, this lockout has done for the A's is, is it's prevented them from making any moves, really, in terms of trades. They're, they weren't going to sign anyone. So it, it's basically just delaying the sell-off, which is why I'm hoping for a salary floor. And the reason I say that is because if they have to spend $100 million to, to reach that limit, they, they have 11 players right now that are arbitration eligible. Uh, they already reached deals with Chad Pinder and Tony Kemp, brought both of those guys back, and then they got Dale Lascara as well. So those three guys, they basically equal up to about... Uh, let's say 6 million between the three of them. So obviously those aren't huge moves. Chad Pinder is a utility star. I mean, he can play anywhere on the diamond. As long as he's healthy, he, he hits well. He's got plenty of pop. Tony Kemp had the best season of his of his career with the A's last year. Uh, really forced Bob Melvin to put him in there against righties and lefties when Traditionally, he's been more of a platoon player where he only faces uh, mostly righties. And then they, they put someone else at second base that can hit lefties a little bit better than him. So, uh, like I said, he he played out of his mind. If he can continue that, great. He's a cheap option and, and should see plenty of playing time. And then Dioris Guerra, I think he really worked himself into a, a bullpen role for, for this upcoming season. They, they had him in the long man role. But once a lot of the, the rest of the bullpen had started to get worn out, they started to throw him in in some of the higher leverage situations. And, and he did very well right up until the end of the season. I think he had a couple rough outings right before the end. So, uh, But with the the salary floor, if that's instituted, there's several players that they could bring back to get them above that $100 million salary floor, assuming they don't trade them off. And that's Sean Mania, He... I got some projected arbitration numbers from MLB trade rumors and they have Sean Mania's estimated salary at ten point two million for next season. Chris Bassett eight point eight. Chad Pinder signed for 2.75. They projected 2.8, so pretty much right on the spot there. Matt Chapman 9.5. Matt Olson 12. Tony Kemp 2.2. That's what he signed for. Frankie Montas 5.2. Luis Trivino 2.9, uh, Pete Cosma 600,000, and then Ramon Laureano 2.8 million. So you add those all up, and, and there's a good chunk of change right there, probably in the in the range of 45 to 50 million that they could spend just by re-signing those 11 guys. Luis that's probably a tough call. He's so hit and miss on where he actually pitches. Uh, he'll have stretches where he can't find the strike zone, so paying someone like that two point nine million they i guess they tendered him a contract, so at some point they're gonna have to come to an agreement to to pay him either the two point nine or whatever they bid their their arbitration number at so um, there's plenty of money to be spent there for the a's to to hit that number and and we'll see what they do obviously, it all depends on. If there's a salary floor instituted, or if there's not, then I think you can kiss all these guys goodbye. Uh, Mania will be gone. They'll trade him. They'll trade Bassett. They'll trade Chapman, Olson. The only one they might actually hang around on or hang on to is Matt Chapman, and that's because he's had two rough seasons in a row. Uh, His value is probably the lowest it's ever been. But if there is no salary floor. They're going to trade away Sean Murphy. They're going to trade away basically anyone with any value and probably not try to compete this upcoming season because you've got teams in the division such as the Rangers and Angels spending money and Houston spending money. So Mariners are spending money and they played very well last season. So it's looking increasingly likely that the A's will be the the worst team in in this division for this upcoming season. So not great news, but is what it is. So um, one thing I forgot to mention at the top is wearing this Wyoming hat, the Wyoming Cowboys basketball team, men's basketball team is seven and zero to start the season. So it's pretty impressive stretch for them. I haven't got to watch any of their games yet, just because not a lot of them are televised and a good chunk of them have been like middle of the day, 2 p.m., things like that. So uh, hoping to to actually catch a couple of these upcoming ones. And uh, they've got one playing against University of Arizona, which is typically a very strong college basketball team. So that should be a a pretty good barometer to see where they're actually at as a a team, if it's real or if it's just because they haven't been playing too many good teams. And, yeah. We'll see how they do. Uh, The Warriors game just wrapped up, and I'm not going to spoil too much about it because John will want to talk about it on Sunday, but they played very well today, much better than they played in that first game against the the Suns. So, uh, Speaking of the Warriors, they did beat the Clippers again, and then they lost to the the Suns in Phoenix on Tuesday evening. Uh, Devontae Booker, nope, not Devontae, He's the running back. Let me – why is his name slipping me now? Is it Devin? Devin Booker? Yeah, it sounds right. He, he got hurt in the first 15 minutes or so that he played and came off with a, a hamstring injury. And the Warriors really couldn't capitalize on him missing. Uh, they really played sloppy, had 23 turnovers in that game. And Steph Curry, I believe he only had 12 points. They were playing just smothering defense on him, and and none of the other guys were really shooting well enough to to back that coverage off of Steph and focus on someone else. Uh, but despite all that, and and really not playing that well, they only lost by eight, and it was in Phoenix. They held the Sun, or they were held to under 100 points for the first time this entire season. So had a pretty good stretch where they were scoring over hundred points. Had they been able to uh, protect the ball a little bit better in this game, they probably would have had a decent chance to win it, but that's obviously can't go back and, and change that now. And unfortunately this is a, a problem that seems to pop up quite a bit for the Warriors every season. And even when they were in their stretch run of, of you know, four championships and, Five years or six years, whatever it was, um, even when they were having those runs, they were having issues turning over the the basketball. So, I I think that tends to just pop back up all the time, and Kerr has to remind them, hey, you know, I love the aggressive play, but let's turn it tune it back just a little bit, so we're not turning the ball over and giving the other team extra possessions. And played a lot better tonight, and. Just still turn the ball over, but not as much. So, we'll we'll talk about that more on on Sunday when when John's on. Uh, some other good news about the the Warriors: Clay Thompson and James Wiseman were sent to the Santa Cruz Warriors a couple days ago to to get some more practice time in, and then they were recalled to the to the NBA team, and they are both getting very near to returning. In fact, I wasn't watching super close because I'm recording this, but several times they were pointing the camera at Clay, and I I would guess he'll be back in the next week or two, uh, just based on the full clearance for, for five-on-five practice and obviously getting sent down to get more practice in with the Santa Cruz Warriors. So that's, I mean, they're really ramping up his, his practice time right now and, and getting him ready to, to get into an NBA game for the first time, and I think it's been like 900 days, so... Good for Clay, good for James. I, I really excited to see how they get them into the rotation and and how they're going to use them and and really just I'm gonna be holding my breath every time Steph or Clay gets on the court just because of what's happened the last two seasons with him getting those fluke injuries. So lastly, I wanted to talk about uh, college football. and really, it's just been crazy the last week or so. You had Brian Kelly. He has left Notre Dame and is headed to Louisiana State and getting paid a a hefty sum to go there. So obviously it's tough to fault him. I really haven't seen any coaches leave Notre Dame. That's more of a a destination place where you want to be. But I mean it's tough to fault him. Like I said, nine years, ninety-five million. I. I'd have a hard time turning that down too. So the only thing that I want to say about him is he, he called the players in for a 7 o'clock, 7 a.m. meeting and basically took three minutes to say, hey, I'm leaving. Sorry. See ya. And, and that was about the depth of the conversation. So pretty weak meeting. Obviously, the guys were probably having to be in there Right after that 7 a.m. meeting for for weightlifting and and practice or whatever they had going on, so not a huge loss to to bring him in for that. But man, if I would have been in that meeting, I'd have probably just said, I think that could have been over text, because yeah, there wasn't much much to that meeting. And then when they announced him at the LSU basketball game, they they gave him a mic at halftime, I believe it was, and and he. Said hi to everyone, and he's so excited to be there, and he even busted out a uh, fake Southern accent that apparently he's been working on in the last couple of days. So he's been there a day, and he's already got a, a fake Southern accent. So very interesting, very interesting fella. Um, the other news: Lincoln Riley announced that he's leaving Oklahoma for USC, and. This has set off a a chain reaction. Uh, Spencer Rattler was already probably going to enter the transfer portal, but he he entered it trying to leave Oklahoma. Obviously, he was supplanted by Caleb Williams, the this freshman that Lincoln went over or went with him over Spencer after a couple rough outings, Uh, and then his number one recruit quarterback in the nation was going to go to Oklahoma and withdrew his commitment to them and has now committed to USC. So doesn't look like he's going to lose his, his commit there. Um, obviously, that's rough for the program, but great to see that players are now able to basically say, oh, well, I went to go play for him. I don't want to just play for Oklahoma. And, and can follow the coach that he wanted to play for to his new destination. Uh, uh, oh, an interesting question that I would like to pose, and, and maybe I'll bring this up to Kyle next week, but I don't know if this is good for, for college football, um, where essentially we have a, a record number of players entering the transfer portal, and obviously you got coaches leaving and, and all that conference reshuffling and and. Obviously, that can play into the players' decisions on why they want to leave. I think there's a bit of an argument for closing that transfer portal um, during the season. I feel like if you commit to a university, you can at least ride out a full season with them where you had plenty of players that... Let me just give you an example. Utah, which, shout out to Utah, they just beat Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. Uh, and really just dominated them in the the game against them previously. And then this game as well, uh, number 10, or they beat them 10 to 38 was the final score. So impressive there. But the, the record I was going to, or the example I was going to give is Utah started the season with Charlie Brewer, who was a, a transfer portal they, they picked up. And he was just, I don't know. He was highly touted and, and really just didn't play well at all. So he got benched after the, I think it was the third game, or maybe it was halfway through the third game, and he entered the transfer portal because essentially he got benched, didn't want to be there anymore. So um, obviously, like I said, I'm, I'm happy the players are able to do it, but it seems pretty weak to just decommit in the middle of a season where you've just because you get benched or something like that. So I don't know what needs to change or if anything needs to change, but it's just a weird situation where, where you can basically be like, oh, coach talked to me wrong, so I'm going to enter the transfer portal and go somewhere else. Um, it's just, I don't know. It doesn't seem to have degraded the the product at all because you've still got records amount of people watching college football, but I don't know it just seems to really dismiss the notion that it's it's an amateur sport essentially and like you said these players are now getting paid through NIL uh name image and likeness they can benefit off that but they're still not making any of the money that they're they're giving to these crazy this crazy amount of dollars that they're giving to these coaches like i don't know y- you've got Brian Kelly, like I said, nine years, $95 million. I think Wink and Riley's right up there in that range as well. So coaches can get paid $10 million a year. I think players can probably make it, you know, rent money or or something like that in the in the season, not just from selling their name, image, image and likeness. Uh, but one thing I, I will say, Wyoming, they have Sean Chambers. He's probably played his last snap with the uh, Wyoming Cowboys. They got Levi Williams that, I believe he was a sophomore this season, might have been a freshman. I, I can't remember. I don't think they counted last year against him, so he's probably still a freshman. Um, he's played well at times, but I don't think he's the the answer at quarterback. And you've got all these transfer portal quarterbacks, and you would think that Craig Bull, with the uh, the record of having – Josh Josh Allen going to the NFL. You would think he's got some pull with some of these recruits and he can maybe get a, a higher tier quarterback to come to uh, University of Wyoming in hopes that he can go to the NFL as well. So I I think he's really got to hit that transfer portal and see if he can bring a, a higher level quarterback to the program, even if it's a junior or senior. I mean, if you can get him for one year until Levi Williams is ready, get him. And, and Bull has shown when he has, I mean, I think any, any college coach, if they have an NFL caliber player or NFL caliber quarterback can win, but that's been the only way that Craig Bull has won at Wyoming is when he had Josh Allen. So I think what UW needs to do is force Bull to renegotiate his contract and, and basically put more pull back on the base salary put more incentives up there so he can he can still make what he was going to make if he wins X amount of games because quite honestly he's the highest paid coach in the Mountain West conference and we've talked about this and he's just not winning games you, you don't pay someone more than anyone else in your conference to not win championships and and that's got to be the goal and and quite honestly he's fallen quite short of that so uh I, I do like Craig Bull. I think he's a good coach, but I think he's been quite stubborn with with his offensive uh, coordinators and, and opening the playbook and, and getting the team to, you know, really just stretch the field. It's been so much of the same, and doesn't matter who the coordinator's been. I thought vegan was the problem, but vegan leaves, and, and it's basically just crept right back up. So uh, he's got to do something. He's got to make some changes because – Quite honestly, like I said, if you're, if you're top paid in the conference and you're not winning conference championships, there, there's something wrong there. So with that being said, I I hope you guys enjoyed (laughs) mostly just me rambling, but, uh, we should have John on Sunday. And then, like I said, watch for, for Taron, Kyle may be on, I don't know. He's, he's back on his long, long stuff at work. So. He might not be on, but Taryn and I will be on Wednesday and I believe John and I will be on Sunday. So, so watch for those. And as always, we appreciate you guys tuning in, uh, sharing when we, we put these posts out there. You guys share them, like them, leave your comments, uh, get get some questions into us. We, we'd love to to have some of that fan engagement and and get you guys involved in the podcast. So with that being said, I hope you guys enjoy your weekend. Mine's starting right now. So you guys take care. We'll talk to you soon.